So hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of Level Up. 60 minutes of Q&A where your questions and votes drive the show. Wherever you're watching, click on the link in the chat and go over to Slido. And that is really where you can vote up the questions that you would like answered the most and, of course, add your own. Today, we're going to be talking all about online teaching, and in particular, getting collaboration into those virtual classrooms that we're running. You know, how to go about that, what tools to consider using, how do you actually get this to work in real life? So let's jump straight in and meet our panel. Our first two guests are brand new to the panel this week. I'm going to begin with Elizabeth Marshall. Marshall, rather, She is a change management expert working in the Australian financial services sector. Highly regulated environment, of course, but one in which she applies the principles of change and project management to support a complex stakeholder network. So welcome, Elizabeth. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, very happy to be here. Okay, a little bit about brilliant. myself and, uh, is uh, change. Yes, please. Oh, a little bit about myself is the change management. Uh, it would be the forte, but working in complex programs of work and certainly with the uh, mixed face-to-face and virtual environments of teaching, I'm really excited about this uh, session and looking forward to the questions. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, also new today is Yap um, van der Jagel who is uh, a project manager and consultant um, since the mid-1980s. He's been working across Europe, South Africa, Russia, and has even made it over to the Caribbean. He's an author, and his latest publication is the Working in Small Projects Guide, or WISP, as it's known. So welcome, Yap. Thank you, Nick. Nice to be here. It's uh, great to be in this panel and uh, looking forward to the questions we have to answer. Um, yeah, I have over 35 years experience, but I still eager to learn and I still learning every day, I think. And I hope to do it today absolutely. too. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. We come together, we <laughs> learn from each other and that's the whole idea of the behind the concept, you know, it absolutely is like that. So you're most welcome. Thank you very much for joining. Next, we welcome back three regular contributors here on Level Up. Johan Boter initially, who helps clients build digital capability. He's over at uh, Get It Right in South Africa. Welcome back, Johan. Thanks, Nick. Um, yeah, so as you say, I, I focus lately more on coaching and less on training um, because that's how you build capability. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, we'll be digging into some of those coaching skills as we go. Etienne Shardlow is a senior consultant with Symphonize Consulting. He's really focused on emerging technologies and also on IT governance. So hi, Etienne. Welcome back. Hi, good to be back. Uh, this is an interesting session for me because I think yeah, for the last 18 months we've been thrown in the deep end and many of us are still learning. So I spend much of my time as Symphonize Consulting's lead trainer as well, and virtual classes are a challenge. So I'm looking forward to, to, to sharing and learning today. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Completing our panel is Nick Vieira from Dublin, who's an independent change and transformation leader. Um, great to have you back again, Nick. Thank you very much, Nick. I'm also really looking forward to... Uh, to the session today and just to also agree you know um online learning probably a really challenging environment um but also great opportunities so looking forward to the questions and the answers and to learn with everybody else uh, today perfect thank you very much indeed so look if you're watching this and you feel that you could answer some of the questions and join us here on the panel just volunteer in the chat and then we'll be in touch to get you on boarded and welcome you onto a future um, edition of Level Up. So let's jump straight in and hear from our question master for today, who is Charlotte, and she is joining us from the Thames Valley in the UK. Charlotte, may we have the first question, please? Hi, we have a question from Samantha, New York, USA. Is pure e-learning as effective as blended learning from a learner's point of view? Okay, Nick, and then Etienne. So um, my answer to this would be, um, in some cases, depending on your audience, but if I have the option, I would always go for a blended learning uh, environment, simply because it allows the interaction between people. 
um, and, and it enables you then to have the theory as such, um, but also the learning that you get engaging with, with other people. Okay, thank you, Etienne, and then Johan. Yeah, the answer from my side is it depends. <laughs> people have different learning styles. Um, yeah, some people are really good at e-learning and yeah, they're, they're a lot more comfortable working through material on their own, doing their own research and kind of adding to the material. Other people want that, you know, that kind of blended environment where they can ask questions and interact and, and, and you know, interact with other people, interact with a trainer. Um, so I, it, it really does depend person by person, but I think most people benefit more from blended. Okay, thank you, Johan. And then, yeah. My answer is also it depends, but I think it depends on what you're trying to teach. So foundation level material, it's okay. Um, practitioner level, I'm not really sure if you can do it pure e-learning. Okay, thank you, Johan. Yeah. Um, my experience since 2004 is that e-learning is um, a challenge for many candidates uh, because it asks for discipline. This blended learning, I have experienced that people see a new deadline, a, a workshop or an online workshop, so they start studying. We have seen it in the statistics, also in accessing the learning management system. So I think e-learning can be very effective, but um, most candidates need kind of, yeah, a carrot and a stick or a stick. Um, um, yes, so that's it. Okay, all right, thank you very much. So um, I'd, I would say, you know, my view here is that um, uh, so much depends on who was the architect of the self-paced e-learning content. So the way that I'm reading this question is that it's about pure e-learning equals self-paced e-learning where there is no live human being kind of guiding or facilitating uh, the learning. Um, in the past, I think what people did when they architected um, e-learning content was that they didn't put in sufficient uh, branching and reinforcement and uh, engagement type elements. So we've all sat through some pretty dull regulatory or compliance type e-learning. I'm not picking on anybody here, but... <laughs> You know, we probably have, okay, whether it was anti-money laundering in the 1990s or 2000s, right, all of the way up to regulatory and compliance content today, it is pretty dull. Now, that's not the fault of the medium, I would argue. I would argue that that's actually the fault of the learning uh, course designers, all right? You really do need to embrace what is happening in modern technology. Consider how the cloud can help you think about using the emerging standards around it and start considering embedding things like, you know, multiple branching reinforcement sections, use the machine learning algorithms that are available when you architect these courses, because that's the difference with a human being. A human being can listen and respond and guide and, and knows how to differentiate the content for the class. So um, it's up to us, I think, and colleagues who are working to architect new courses to think differently about how you go about it and not do the race to the bottom of the most convenient way of churning out that um, self-paced e-learning content. But a great question, and thank you very much indeed. So, Charlotte, let's move on to the next question, please. We've got a question from Sarah, Sydney, Australia. How can I manage my students' shorter attention spans when delivering training online? <laughs> it's a great question as well. Nick, go ahead. Let's get off the ground with you. Really, really great question. And I think this is a challenge we, we, all, uh, we all face. Um, and just referring back to, to Nick's comments, you know, in terms of how an online um, course is set up and including the reinforcement, the branching, and, and getting your, your student to, um, to engage. Uh, is 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 part of the challenge here. If if it's a facilitated online session, you know, include breakout rooms, um, ask questions. Uh, the online session again, you know, it, it it really depends on on the the people who are attending. 
um, and their approach to 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 answering, to asking questions, to engaging, and so to encourage that kind of environment, I think is one of the one of the keys to to answer this uh, really challenging question. Okay, thank you very much, Nick Etienne. Yeah, um, so I like to again ask lots of questions. Um, I run a, a number of polls during the during the training courses as well, just to kind of keep people engaged. But I find energy levels in an online virtual environment uh, is is very different. Um, so I often in the in the classroom I would normally have a tea break, a lunch break, and a tea break. With virtual classes, I tend to have breaks every forty five minutes to an hour just to give people an opportunity to stand up, stretch their legs. And that also helps to, to kind of keep energy levels up. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, cameras on is, is something that I, I struggle with. Um, you know, data is a problem for many of our students. And, you know, but I do encourage people to have their cameras on all of the time. When people are on camera, <laughs> they, they're, they're a lot more focused because, you know, they're, they're worried about getting caught out, picking their noses or something. <laughs> so, you know, um, when you're on camera, it does help you stay focused. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, Elizabeth, how do you manage this with, you know, professionals from financial services in particular? Because they, they have a very driven life. You know, how do you keep them focused on, on what you're talking about? I'm going to refer uh, specifically to this question, and I certainly have taught uh, rooms full of uh, financial services professionals, uh, both face-to-face and virtually. And uh, I would say in both environments, make an entrance so they don't make (laughs) an emotional exit too early. And you have about 20 minutes to do that, depending on how long the course is. You wait for the moment and you make an entrance and you either do that by engaging them, using the what's in it for me, getting them to talk. I used to ask people to tell me a little story about their personal learning journey or something even remotely related to the content. And you engage them by making an entrance, getting them talking, thinking about the what's in it for me in terms of buying into the time. And then if you have them in the first half an hour, then they won't exit emotionally too soon from being learning and you'll have their attention. I think that's such an important word to use and to stress that it's about that emotional engagement. You know, as Elizabeth has just said, you know, if you can build that bond, you know, at the beginning and keep refreshing that bond throughout, then it's much, much better. Far too many times we are using the same platform for teaching and learning as these folks are using for their meetings and in a in a normal meeting there may be 15 percent engagement going on because there's one person talking and 85 percent of the people are not the cameras are not on they're they're barely listening they're barely listening you know to actually what's happening Mm. so get right in there you know and and join in i mean um panelists from from your perspective do you do you use you know icebreakers at the beginning do you engage with each learner individually at, at the beginning of your courses hands up please uh, those those folks who do and i'll come to you yeah, elizabeth go ahead i certainly do whether again if it's face-to-face or virtual uh you certainly uh for a short amount of time uh, you can you know keep it sort of off textbook or off course uh, anything you can do to uh you know get them talking uh, and get them uh, you know, energized, and uh, that may not be the emotional investment then, but that's the energy levels rising. So that's certainly right. a really good idea. But there is a point that you do need to then bring it into a an activity uh, uh, and relate that activity to the course and get them talking. Yeah, absolutely. How do you go about this, Johan? How do you get that emotional bonding? You know, whether you're coaching or teaching a larger group. Yeah, you know, Nick, for me, people invest if they if they feel that the person on the other side of the camera is also invested um, and, and the best way to do that is to listen so giving an opportunity for somebody to to share something that is important to them the reason maybe why they're doing the course or you know, a problem that they're having or uh, and um, 
And you can also then weave sort of a narrative the rest of the course. And the moment somebody actually picks that up yeah, uh, and say, oh, but, but that's actually about my problem, um, it makes a hell of a difference. All right, excellent. Last thoughts on this one, Nick, before we move on? So one of the tricks that I use is to ask people how to pronounce their name. I, I often work with a very diverse group of people and internationally, um, and I struggle to pronounce their names. And so depending on how large the group is, and you don't have to just do it straight up front. You can do this throughout the day, you know, to connect with people, say, how do I pronounce your name? You know, because it's valuable for me to pronounce your name correctly. And that way just mm -hmm. immediately engages them and shows I'm interested in you um, first and foremost, and then, and then we can take it from there. Excellent. Some great advice. Thank you very much indeed, panel. And what a wonderful uh, question. I'm enjoying this already. So let's move on, Charlotte, if we may, and we'll take the next question, please. Got a question from Paul in New Zealand. Do I need to use a third-party app to keep my student engaged through live virtual course, or are there low-tech ways to keep everybody interested and in learning? Okay, so this kind of touches on the collaborative elements, really, doesn't it? So, um, first of all, I would say that, you, you know, old school uh, works really effectively in virtual or in face-to-face, -face. so you've got a whole range of different, you know, uh, techniques to be able to use. Um, as you've seen already, we've started to use open questions. We've used directed questions. You know, that's keeping everybody kind of listening and thinking and, you know, who's he going to come to next and this kind of stuff. And um, panelists, what are your thoughts um, on this? What advice would you give? Go ahead, Nick. So I think absolutely, you know, a combination of both. But we're using a prime example of a, a, um, a really easy third-party app here with Slido. Um, it's set up, it's free, you can have people ask questions, you can run polls. Um, and so, you know, absolutely a combination of the two. There are apps out there that allow you to uh, electronically engage with, with people and absolutely use them. Yeah, yeah. What are, what are your thoughts? Um, yes, we use uh, two applications one is bizarre for free uh, one is Kahoot and the other is mural and the last one is an interactive whiteboard which you can use for brainstorming and um and, and other stuff so it is yeah but you can also use uh, and share powerpoint if you want to but, um, or um, other other applications you, you need yeah i need some applications uh, yeah so i can't do it just with my face and my voice uh, normally, I need okay. a whiteboard uh, when I'm in the classroom. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, white, whiteboards are, yeah. yeah, whiteboards are super, super useful products, aren't they? They really, really are. Mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth? I couldn't agree with the uh, the panelists uh, who have spoken already on this more. Uh, just backing that up, but also wanted to say the whiteboard is the the, the single most collaborative tool. Uh, in terms of uh, an external app to uh, virtual training that I could ever recommend uh, beyond anything. Yes, uh, Kahoot is fantastic. It uh, gets people sort of thinking outside the square and engaging them. Uh, the whiteboard experience and moving people into groups and also keeping attention spans by empowering people to lead sessions on a whiteboard by using sticky notes with a simple question uh, on, uh, on each page is uh, the most effective uh, icebreaker as well that i've ever used yeah most definitely and don't forget of course as well is that you can you know on on the the two largest uh, corporate platforms so if you're if you're if you're teaching into you know um large corporate environments they've generally approved one or the other of of the two either microsoft teams or zoom so you may need to just adopt that as your medium through which you can engage with learners but both of them support a whole variety of third-party um, apps that you can use. Um, so explore those. You know, go online. I was looking the other day and I came across three really interesting new uh, platforms. And um, There are more and more 
of these ideas appearing on the internet. Uh, they often, vast majority of them, offer a free account to begin with, so you can try it out and see if it's going to suit what you have in mind. And of course, you can bring a laser focus into it by putting people into breakout rooms. And when there's three people in a breakout room, they behave very differently to when there's 30 people in, in a single general session. So uh, do use that technique you know, of breaking the problem down or breaking the group size down rather to focus um, the activity and drive the activity level up. It's kind of inversely proportional, I would say. Collaboration increases when the group size gets smaller and it tends to decrease a little bit when the group size gets larger. So um, have a little bit of a think about using all of those. Uh, but a great question. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Elizabeth, last word on this before we move on. Wanted to add on that. Uh, it's really a key point that you have the, the size proportionate to the activity and that the smaller the group, to, so that everybody has uh, a say and everybody is able to participate is really key to the collaboration here. But also, uh, you know, the best tip would be to add to that, from my perspective, is to make sure that the tasks are specific and clear before they go into those breakout rooms. Um, yeah, yes, you, you, more groups. Excellent. Thank you very sure much. You're spot on there. Yeah, thank you very much. So you're, you're spot on there, Elizabeth. And, and I think one thing that we can do as, you know, when we're facilitating learning is that you, if you have a larger audience, create a poll and instead of making a statement, ask a question, okay, and use the polling side of collaboration tools to be able to get the quiet people and their voices to be heard with equal merit to the folks who will generally jump in there and answer the questions first you know so it's a good way to go about that and support and enable everybody all right very good um let's move on charlotte please next question we have a question from amy in perth i feel disconnected when presenting to a webcam do you have any tips on how i can overcome this and deliver online content better for my students okay nick go ahead so lo lo lovely question. And one of the things that I do is I try and get animated. So I use my hands um, and, it, and that helps me with my energy. And if I can keep my energy up, um, often I find that my students' energy uh, is, is also maintained. But this, this is a challenge. You know? um, so I, I move, I move back, I put my hands up, I you know, I try and use my facial expressions um, just to to try and maintain that uh, that engagement. It's one of the tricks I use. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, great great advice there, Johan. Yeah, and in in the beginning, what I did is I actually had somebody to sit behind the camera for me. Um, just to get used to speaking to the camera, because it doesn't help to say, you know, imagine that the camera is naked, you know. Uh, <laughs> you want to engage with somebody. Somebody. Um, you can even put a mirror there. So there's just something to look at. Yeah? Uh, that's a little bit more animated. Yeah, absolutely, Elizabeth. Wherever possible, move. Uh, just to uh, the point of my panel, my co-panelists here is that uh, being animated is, is energizing for yourself, but movement is uh, also healthy. And we're spending a lot of time uh, with the, in online training environments and teaching. So you're doing yourself a favor, you're energizing yourself. When you're moving and almost forgetting without forgetting that the camera is there, your natural self will come across uh, uh, better. Uh, in the webcam environment. Uh, and then I have felt personally that I have felt less disconnected. I have felt that I'm aware that the camera's there and I'm aware that there is a webcam uh, uh, environment that I am delivering uh, learning to and with. But then I sit within a natural state as well and I move naturally and I talk naturally and I feel that that in some ways uh, helps me to feel connected personally. And I feel that that is reciprocated at times. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, closing thoughts on this one? Yes, last one. I just, um, what can help and what helps me is to use uh, YouTube uh, 
uh, small uh, video clips. It gives you as a trainer uh, 30 seconds or two minutes uh, time to recover a little bit if needed. So, and um, especially if there's humoristic uh, video clips, um, yeah, when the students uh, delegates are laughing, it will um, yeah make life easier for everybody. I think. Right. Right, right, right. Some really good um, advice there. Now, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think that, you know, a lot of folks were scrambling, okay, and it was normal at that time just to, you know, make use of the webcam that was on your laptop and the microphone that was, you know, maybe in your laptop and the speakers from your laptop and so on. Now, as this thing has gone on and more and more people have moved across to this form of working, they've discovered that actually... And investing a little bit in some technology can really help you. So I, I cannot um, uh, kind of get away from, you know, if if you are working in this industry, I would say it's a really good idea to go out and get uh, yourself a teleprompter and to put your webcam behind the teleprompter. Um, it doesn't cost a huge amount of money if you think about it. The um, capability that it brings you is tremendous connects um, a small monitor something like a lily pot okay and then you can project your whole your course notes you can project your um, audience you can keep pace with what is happening and it feels a very much enhanced much more realistic you know kind of teaching experience to be able to you know talk with people and converse with people in real time so just a thought for you um uh, if you're starting out, then you can you can build your equipment over time. Right? But for those of you who have been doing this for a wee while and are really looking to invest and make that next uh, step up, then I would strongly uh, recommend those. We can always share some ideas with you as to uh, which equipment to consider and that kind of thing. All right. Very good. Um, Charlotte, let's move on to the next question, please. I got a question from Sarah, Sydney, Australia. Do you have any tips for converting a course originally designed to be delivered in the classroom to a virtual delivery? Are there any updates I should make to the course materials? Okay, so what should we do to adapt something that was originally designed purely for classroom use into being able to be delivered on a, in a virtual classroom instead of face-to-face? Who'd like to kick us off with this one? Elizabeth, go ahead. I think you need to, first of all, look at the uh, engagement uh, that you have face-to-face and uh, you know, plug in something uh, different that works in the virtual environment. Uh, your general uh, way that you would uh, you know, change that course would be, uh, first of all, uh, you know, any opening uh, activities uh, would meet, need to be redesigned uh, using polls uh, to you know, break icebreakers but also using uh you know the, the breakout rooms where normally in a, a course that didn't wasn't delivered online you would you know break people into smaller groups to run an activity and it'd be a little bit self-sufficient but you'd be walking around uh, there so i think you need to think about um the way that um you run that uh, activity but also the length of time uh, you probably need to think about shortening that time and in more digestible uh, bite-sized chunks of, of in terms of the activity, whereas uh, that would be different. And you do need to think about uh, rewriting that case study so it's digestible through the virtual environment and allow time for you to replay that back and for any questions. So being organised uh, in that way and and having um, you know PDFs and um, you know frequently asked questions on case studies and the activities that you have saved and that they're ready for people to quickly pull and read. Uh, in the virtual environment, I think is uh, very useful indeed. Okay, yeah, and then Nick? Yes, I fully agree with this. You need to redesign your course material, make it shorter, uh, smaller chunks so that uh, students can absorb it. I use more uh, pre-course reading uh, for the students. And, um, and the other thing is the exercises you use need to be redesigned. Um, and you can't, yeah, you need a different format. Uh, and for that, I, for instance, use a mural and, um, and the breakout rooms, of course. But redesign is Thank needed you. to make it interesting. Thanks, yeah. So I, I, 
I want to talk specifically into a corporate environment, um, which is working on a large program at the moment. And um, first of all, I'll say a good instructional designer who can take material and create it for specifically audiences, for specific audiences online uh, is worth their weight in gold. Um, you know, the ability to take what was a whole lot of data or content and turn it into an interactive, engaging course that, like my fellow panelists have said, is generally shorter, uh, is more to the point because online, an online course, an effective online course forces you to, to, to be very specific in terms of what you want the person to learn on that particular slide. What's the one message you want to come through? Um, if you can be clear on that, it definitely enhances the, the learning experience. The other thing that I'd want to say is um, a learning experience that is contained or that is presented within a learning environment where the online interactive session is just one aspect of it, where you have a library of reference materials that people can go to, um, where you have questions and answers, where you have a, um, a place where you can place um, uh, the bank of answers that SMEs might have on that particular particular topic. Um, and so, you know, it's not just about that particular course, but it's about the online, the, the, the learning experience that is wrapped around a number of different engagements um, that you need to apply to enhance that learning. Okay, thank you very much. I mean, one thing that I would say is that um, we need to get away from being, you know, lazy when we're developing course materials for face-to-face -face, um, classrooms. It's far too many courses where virtually every word that the facilitator of the class is going to read is written on the slide. And these kinds of things in a classroom, people are polite, so they don't get up and walk out. But when you're teaching virtually, <laughs> they have many more options to be distracted. And so people can read ahead far faster than you can speak. And so I would say is the first thing to do is to consider what is it that you actually have? Why do you have that many words on the screen? Are you better off using your classroom courseware as reference material and making that available to people? And then just tweaking and redesigning the actual visuals that you have for the spoken word so that you can engage people in real time much more effectively um, rather than them reading ahead of the content. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is look at captioning. Look at using captions um, which are dynamically generated uh, in real time to augment the audio for people particularly if you're teaching people who are listening in a second or a third language. These are really, really important aspects of ensuring that you get you know, your clear communication through to the audience. And then the third element would be seek lots of feedback. <laughs> check, check people's understanding as you go. And when you settle into it a little bit more, then you can find that rhythm and that cadence that that particular group you know, is going to uh, respond best to two and some groups are they prefer a little faster rate and for anybody who's watched youtube uh, like me and has turned the speed up to one and a quarter or one and a half times normal speed then you know i empathize with that because not everybody learns or listens at the same cadence so very good thank you very much panel now we're going to change um uh, rhythm a little bit now and i'm going to spend a bit of time if i may with johan so i'm going to invite johan to join me while we discuss our focus topic in a little bit more depth so we're going to be talking a, a bit more about this whole concept of collaboration um, online teaching of course in virtual classrooms is not at all new but i do think the rate of progress has really accelerated over the last couple of years. With corporates adopting an, in, an internal standard, many courses by necessity are being delivered either in Microsoft Teams or in Zoom or these kinds of platforms, rather than on a specific platform designed for teaching and learning. So Johan, let's, if we may, start off with the basics. Why, why is it that you feel that collaboration is at the heart of improving learning outcomes? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest issues is that previously in a classroom, 
there was the ability for people to have social interaction. And part of that social interaction was actually part of the learning experience. Um, people are now disconnected. Um, and we're losing that additional, uh, let's say, it, nuanced learning that's busy happening. Um, and, and we need to find ways to actually replace that. Um, because otherwise we could have just given them the course material to read. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and, and it's getting that kind of feedback mechanism in, isn't it? You know, to elicit the response from the folks who are online. When you're, when you're face-to-face with people, you can kind of look them in the eye and you can, at a glance, recognize you know when they're fully present kind of in the room and 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 when they're not was, was there a particular moment if you like in your career that really convinced you of the need to think a bit differently about you know how we teach day to day yeah um about i think about four years ago we've in principle decided that you know we want to get away from public courses um, and try to provide a better context for learning. So we had a very long name for it. We called it team-based workplace learning. Um, okay. But but in essence, the, the, the idea is that, you know, people work together, they find what they've learned together. Um, and, and, and part of that learning is being able to work together to apply what they've learned. Um, so, so that was for me a sort of a turning point because all of a sudden we were able to, for the first time, I was able to measure the value of training. Um, you know, we we always had sort of soft metrics saying, you know, but it will make your people better, and yeah, you know, you know, they'll get better services, and you know, they'll learn the techniques, but. How much better did it make the environment, the service that they provide, the product that they provide, the engagement that they have with their customers? And we weren't able to, to measure that. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really a turning point for me. And I still do public training from time to time, but my preference is rather to be, I suppose, a coach than a trainer. Right. Right. No, that makes complete sense to me. So what, what, what would you say in this sort of coaching and facilitator role? What, what, how would you construct, what would be your ultimate collaborative learning environment? How would you construct that? Describe that to me. Um, I, I don't know if I'll be able to, to, to construct it, uh, but the technology exists to to do that in the form of augmented and virtual reality. Um, I've got a, a close friend who, who operates in that environment and the things that they do in, in learning environments with augmented reality and, and virtual reality is just absolutely amazing. Um, superimposing learning context on something that a student is looking at, uh, for instance. Um, and, 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 and guiding the student then to you know, take the right steps, for instance. And this issue of disengaging in a, a virtual training environment, um, if you were uh, in the metaverse, uh, you would be present. Um, so, um, and this is not a punt for, for, uh, for, for Facebook, by the way. Um, I, no. <laughs> I would rather have the the, the, the metaverse open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. I want to come back to the metaverse, if I may, in a, in a few moments. But um, uh, I mean, this is really not new at all. And you know, there was some fantastic early work that was done 15 years ago or so. Volvo Trucks did some amazing work using uh, virtual reality to teach. Um, uh, fields uh, uh, engineers who were going out to situations where one of their trucks had you know was broken down and they were trying to make sure that you know they were able to fix as many faults as possible you know kind of at the roadside or at the truck stop you know or 
um, at their dealer network because when a truck is is stranded, it, there's an awful lot of money involved. <laughs> there's an awful lot of money involved, so they need to fix it fast, right? And um, you know, VR um, was really helping them develop an entirely new form of education and training for. Uh, the specialist mechanics who were needed to be able to, you know, interact with um, their technology at the roadside uh, and make a big difference for them. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, the metaverse, which is being promoted at the moment, um, has a very, I would say, very rudimentary interface uh, to it. I'm being polite now. And um, I wouldn't judge the idea of combining the power of cloud servers uh, with um, teaching and learning through its current uh, manifestation. I think there's a huge amount of value to be gained from exactly what you've said, where people are learning in their own environment, you know, the environment that they work in every day, and you're able to bring those coaching points, those teaching aids to them in the context of their, of their day job. It makes a huge, huge difference. Coming back from kind of the metaverse, if you like, at one end of the spectrum. I just want to quickly add in terms of that metaverse. Um, if, if you start thinking about people actually engaging in the metaverse as, as themselves, you know, an avatar of themselves, and then start thinking about the, the opportunities and possibilities that gamification actually uh, brings, um, and 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 don't underestimate the the opportunity to include social learning, um, and uh, learning in terms of behavioural change. In that, I, I think it, it it's an amazing opportunity that we've got. Yeah, um, as I say, I'm not the guy who's going to make it happen, but surely somebody must. <clears throat> Oh, I think they already are. I think they already are. It's just, um, in fact, I, I think panel, it might make a good, you know, kind of focus topic for us fairly soon, actually, is just to explore, you know, what is happening in the development of machine learning, development of the metaverse and its application to teaching and learning. So before we do that, though, which we, we will schedule, we'll get that uh, done, Johan, so that it's scheduled for a future um, show. Um, is, is there anything simple, just to kind of finish this conversation on, is there anything simple and straightforward that you could recommend that every trainer, learning facilitator adopts in their teaching to improve collaboration? What, what, what would your simple recommendation be? I think we've touched on, on many of the, 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 the subjects already. Maybe something that we didn't talk about is um, I try and create one-on-one -on -one teachable moments um, during a break, uh, before the class. Um, because, you know, the rapport that you actually create with your, with your audience has got a huge influence in, in the, um, I don't know if this is a good word to use, susceptibility of, <laughs> of what you're trying to it sounds very negative but, but i mean people must be able to want to hear what you're saying um and that to a large extent is based on trust um so go and create that opportunity that you can actually you know maybe not create that trust but at least improve it it's certainly a key enabler, isn't it, to the transfer of information, understanding, to the reception, you know, particularly if you're, you know, offering people a, a little bit of a challenge, you know, to go beyond, see beyond the present moment and start mm -hmm. to think about things a little bit differently. Johan, thank you very much indeed. Really interesting um, conversation. Okay. Let's move back to our panel now, if we may. And uh, Charlotte, I can see that, the questions have been stacking up in the focus topic uh, room. So um, let's go ahead and have the first question, please. And panel, if we can keep it really tight now, we'll get through as many as we can. We've got a question from Stephanie, Adelaide, Australia. Without body language, it can be hard to facilitate discussion in an online environment. Do you have any techniques or tools I could use to help facilitate the conversation so that everyone participates? Okay, Nick. 
So I think the first thing to do in, in this instance is, where possible, um, get the cameras on. It doesn't replace, you know, live face-to-face -face, uh, engagements, but it definitely does help to be able to see the person and at least know that they're paying attention. Um, and in some way, you know, you can you can have that kind of like eye contact. Um, um, and and then obviously you're looking at the tones in which people reply and and all of that. Um, but yeah, put the camera on. Um, First, first, first one. Yeah, absolutely right. And consider actually encouraging your um, colleagues who are on the course with you, you know, to to sit fairly close to the camera as you as you can see the panelists are now. Okay, framing so that you can see people's facial expressions. You know, inviting them in, bringing them closer to you is a really good idea. If you if you're kind of looking down the wrong end of the telescope at somebody pretty hard to see what they're doing. Etienne, final word? Uh, yeah, just um, when it comes to this, you know, um, body language, you, know, you can see I'm kind of talking with my hands now. So, you know, as much as you want to be on camera and close to the camera, you also want to be far enough back that you can talk with your hands and kind of animate a little because otherwise, you know, it can become really dull and you might not be able to help or see the delegates on the course's body language, especially if cameras are off, but at least show that you're interested, smile. <laughs> That's something I struggle with on camera. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, a smile carries through in your voice as well. So, you know, I, I think Absolutely as not. a trainer, uh, as someone leading a session online, you know, play your part in terms of body language. Yeah, most definitely. We set the tone, don't we? And we set the, you know, kind of the uh, the feeling, you know, for the course ourselves. So it's super important yeah. to be able to do that. And and I agree, Etienne, it's uh, something that we all need to practice, which is to smile more, you know, and, you know, engage a little bit uh, more with a bit more energy. Very good. Um, Charlotte, let's move on, please. Um, I can see there's more questions coming in. We've got a question from a live viewer. Um, how can we use gamification in a live online class to improve engagement? Do you have any tips? It's a great question, and gamification really does bring learning to life. Um, Elizabeth, have you come across this in, in your career so far? Yes, I have. Um, I've, gamification, in uh, certainly in the corporate sector, is um, sometimes uh, used by building something called a product box or um, you know, building a prototype um, where we actually make fun or uh, make game of uh, something that we're doing. To actually do that in an on, uh, online uh, live classroom um, from um, having done this face-to-face -face is, is a unique experience. And I recommend you still can do it. Um, you just need to be highly visual with your, um, your screens, um, bring it to life with uh, rich, um, you know, words and use storytelling to bring it to life. The idea behind uh, gamification is uh, really um, just to sort of, you know, get people sensualized about what you're trying to build and uh, where we might have done that, uh, you know, with uh, something called a product box. It's a really a sales and marketing technique. You're trying to bring something to life in a fun way of what you're building. You can do that with screens. Uh, you can run an activity. Uh, and you know, break people into classrooms and get them to build something. But you need to have, um, you know, really rich, fun language, um, bright, bold slides, and you know, bring it to life yourself as a trainer. Okay, thank you very much. Yep. Uh, sorry, Yap, we can't hear you. Okay, so we'll come back to um, Yap in a moment. We'll okay. try. Just okay. one more time. Go ahead, Yap. Okay. Yeah, we train a lot of students at the moment, and the challenge with students is to motivate them. So we lose gamification. So we give them, um, we split the students in groups, give them the same exercise, and the best uh, solutions will win. And it is uh, really uh, nice to see how they work and how they invent um, and how they learn as a group. Yes. So um, gamification works for students. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Thank you very much, panel. Let's um, press on. We need, we do need to pick up the pace if we're going to get through the questions. So short answers now, please. Um, Charlotte, go ahead. Question from Paul in New Zealand. In your experience, is there an optimal class size for collaborative learning? Can class sizes be too small or too big, or do you just need to use different techniques? Etienne and then Johan. Um, from my personal experience, I like a class size of around eight students, uh, eight people in a room. And a virtual room works nicely. Um, you can break it into two breakaway sessions when you need to. And you know, four people in a breakaway works nicely as well. Um, smaller than that is sometimes more difficult. Uh, and larger than that can be a challenge too. So for me personally, eight is a, is a kind of nice number. Okay, thank you very much, Johan and then Nick. Four to eight. Thank you very much, Nick. It definitely depends on what you're trying trying to do. Um, I'm currently running sessions where we have three, four hundred people uh, in an education session, and we have to use different techniques there. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it is possible. It might not be optimal, but that's the reality of the environment that we that we work in. You're going to have some small times. You can have some large ones. We need to adapt. Yeah, I completely agree with that. A lot of it to do is to do as well, not just the content, but also the learning culture. So you can cope with larger audiences with um, certain learning cultures. Um, yeah. That's for sure. Um, Charlotte, next question, please. We've got a question from Lizzie, um, one of our panellists. What is the best collaboration technique for engagement and change and project management training? Okay, well, so what, what, what do we think, panel? This is a good kind of question to sort of round off on, um, really. What are your favourite or best? Best can mean different things to different people. Johan, go ahead. Okay, so it's an, since I'm an agile person, it, it must be a, a some form of a Kanban board, so Trello or something like that. I love sticky notes. I've always got it on my desk. So virtually okay. we can do the same. All right, excellent. Yeah, I will come to you, Lizzie, in a minute. Yes, I, let's go to Yap first. Yes, I agree with Johan. Um, um, I also use a common board. There's one behind me. Um, the sticky notes, uh, students like it, uh, even to decorate their helmet. So, uh, but um, make it interactive, yes. Um, and again, mural is a nice uh, tool which you can use for students for free, for instance. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, Lizzie, you asked the question. So what are, what are your thoughts? Is there a best technique that you've come across? Well, I didn't want to bring my bias to the room. I thought I'd throw the question out there. Um, based on my experience, um, everything that I've heard is uh, I agree with and uh, JIRA, um, when it's used in an advanced way in a collaborative environment, is uh, useful as well as uh, it is has the Kanban within it. Uh, in terms of uh, this question, if you're applying this to the teaching environment and you're thinking about a collaboration technique for students uh, for engagement on change and project management, uh, I found that role playing uh, in terms of assigning the different roles in the agile sense, uh, you know, so we give everybody uh, in the room a hat to wear. So you're simulating an environment in the change and project space and then you run an activity. Uh, where one is the BA, one is the project manager, and one is the business uh, owner and uh, an executive and so forth. And that is a collaborative technique, uh, you know, within a virtual platform, uh, but certainly the collaboration um, tools such as uh, Kanban, I, I couldn't agree more. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Well, that's, that's really, really good. So thank you uh, very much, panel. We've got time for one last question, Charlotte, before we wrap up. Got a question from Charles, Dublin, Ireland. I've been asked to run a blended training session where some students will be physically in the room and some will be remote. Do you have any advice on how to manage this environment? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that I would do is to um, use a multi-camera setup. Okay, uh, blended learning is going to be with us now for a long time. Okay, so multi-camera setup is really important for you to be able to cope with this is you do need the open view to be able to get that feeling of the classroom and place the uh, remote 
students into the classroom. You need a projector so that the students in the classroom can see their people who are remote and vice versa kind of thing. So you need a minimum of two cameras, all right, to do this really well. Uh, you need to be able to project to the students uh, who are remote within the room and you need to think super carefully about how you manage your audio and how you facilitate um, the learning. It can be done and it can be done brilliantly or it can be really awful. So uh, step up and think creatively about how you do it. Um, Johan, last comment on this. So just bear in mind that the guys sitting remotely already feel excluded. So you must, as the facilitator, go out of your way to make them part of, of the group. Absolutely right. Thank you very much indeed. So look, panel, great job um, today. Uh, apologies for those of you who have been submitting questions online. I know that we've not got to everybody's question today, okay? But we will roll your questions over and we'll ask, ask them to a panel in another episode. Um, so what we're going to do now is just going to walk around the panel then and ask you for your final thoughts for today. So Johan, we'll begin with you and then we'll go to Elizabeth next. Johan, go ahead. It's about people, so don't get hung up about the tools. You need to engage with people. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, and then Nick. Collaboration tools are, are fantastic. Uh, I agree that it is about the people. Ensure, though, that people know how to use those tools or they will feel discluded and not feeling like they want to collaborate if they don't feel like they're, they're skilled to use them. Really important. Thank you, Nick. And then Etienne? Couldn't agree more with both Johan and Elizabeth. It's about the people, sure that people can use it. Um, this is going to be with us for a long time, and you know, so we need to um, do this and get as equipped as we can to do it well. Etienne, and then Yap? Yeah, again, people. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we're helping people to learn and we've got to make them feel a part of the, a part of the virtual environment that we're training in. And I think uh, as, as someone who's leading these sessions, I think we need to make sure that people feel engaged and we are engaging people. So, yeah, it's up to us. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And then Charlotte. Yes, of course I have to agree and I will agree. Um, it's a people and um, it's also asking the, the participants if they still enjoy it, if they are still learning. Um, and the more technique, the more challenges you have as a trainer. Um, I prefer to use less te techniques and less tools to be able to focus on the people. Um, um, yeah, it, that's it, I think. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Charlotte, it's been a, a complex um, set of questions that we've had today. People really starting to drill, drill down into online learning. Uh, your closing thoughts, please. Definitely lots of questions that we've not answered yet that we will need to follow up with with a, another session. But I think the key takeaway from this is collaboration. And to collaborate, you've not to collaborate. I know that sounds daft, but everybody's got to collaborate for effective collaboration. Absolutely. That, the key is participation. When you were invited to join in, join in, you know, and you get so much more out of um, the teaching side and so much more out of the learning. Well, great job, panel. Thank you very much indeed. Let's move on now a little bit and look ahead about what's happening next in Level Up. So coming up later today at uh, 1300 um, GMT, um, 2 p.m. in Europe and 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We return to project and change management with a focus in particular on the role of the program manager. Um, their responsibility really is to deliver at pace and scale a whole group of projects and BAU that deliver benefits to their organisation. So that's what we'll be doing then. Next Monday at this time, we're going to be looking at the world of cyber with a focus on avoiding becoming a victim of scams and seeing how best to equip ourselves um, uh, to avoid all of that. Later on in the same day, next Monday, at the uh, 15th, I think it is, of November, 
um, at 1 p.m. GMT, uh, we will pick up the world of public-private partnerships. And this time we're going to be looking at the CP3P qualification suite in some detail. How do you go about studying for those certifications? What's involved in achieving the ultimate level and getting up to the CP3P professional, which is an award which is made to the select few who were able to complete all three elements. So very good. Thank you very much indeed. I will look forward to meeting you on the next show. In the meantime, level up your career with APMG by subscribing to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and also how you can join us on the panel. Thanks very much indeed. Bye-bye now.